I found that we don't necessarily discuss some things that have hijacked both Christianity and Islam. How can we reclaim the essences and the, the beauty of our faiths? Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to build bridges and not barriers by having a conversation with a guest who has insider experience with a subject that might pose as problematic for the church. We're not always going to agree, but we're not going to argue. Our guest today is Samia. She is the host of the Rogue Muslim Podcast, a podcast for Muslims, by a Muslim, about Muslims, and they're going rogue. She has a master's degree in social justice and community engagement and does work in anti-Islamophobia, anti-colonization, and imperialism work, as well as anti-gender-based violence prevention work. Samia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm glad you said yes. This has been a long time coming, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm glad we got to connect. Yeah, exactly. Also, having being on the same same time zone kind of helps. It's not such a weird, oh, it's awkward hour. It's such a relief. <laughs> right? It's such a relief. It really is. Uh, so, Samia, today we're going to dive into some of your story, some of your belief, and also some of your work. Uh, so, to start off, correct me where I'm wrong, but you do profess to be a Muslim, correct? Yes, I do. Okay. So, you know, rewinding the clock, the t- the timeline all the way, was was being a Muslim a family identity that you were born into, or was that something that you chose later down in life? Yeah. So, also, I really like the way you worded that. That's so nice. Um, yeah. So, I was born into Islam. Um, so, my ancestry is from India, and so there was a time where my ancestors were Hindu, um, and then along with history and everything, um, converted to Islam. And so, uh, yeah, for quite a few generations now, my family has been um, practicing Islam. And so I was born into it. But I think it's really interesting when you're born into something, I don't know that you fully appreciate the teachings that you're born into. Um, or sometimes, you know, it, it, maybe it's not the appreciation. Sometimes there's a resistance to the teachings that you're uh, born into. But for me, I found that, you know, I'm constantly um, renegotiating my uh, spiritual identity, but also affirming it and um, falling in love with with my with my faith more and more, the more I uh, interact with it actively and engage with it actively and not such a passive way. Cause yes, I was born into it, but I think for some time, even though I had a religious upbringing, I went to Sunday school, you know, I, I was a Sunday school teacher and, and, you know, I attend a uh, mosque regularly where there's a lot of lectures and everything. There's a bit of a passive passivity to the way I was engaging with Islam. And then, you know, the older I got, uh, the more questions I was being asked or the more questions I had, it kind of just allowed me to, yeah, just take that more engaging form of form into my spirituality. And I really came to appreciate, you know, the essence of Islam, the wisdom behind its teachings, the why around it, because a lot of the times I think with spirituality, you're kind of just fed it. Um, not really uh, uh, encouraged to ask questions or ask the why. Um, but it, I feel for me, the more I ask why, the more I fall in love with Islam. And, you know, in in the Quran, uh, 
like God encourages us to ask questions because we'll always find the answers within Islam. And for me, luckily, that's just been the case so far. So yeah, a bit of a long-winded answer into, yes, I was born into the faith, but um, I, I try and appreciate the fact that, you know, there is still, you still have to do seek out your faith and seek out spirituality. Hmm. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, of course. Now, most of our listeners on on the show would fit into a Christian or a post-Christian demographic. So mm-hmm. I'd like to dive into some of the belief systems of Islam, of being a Muslim. Now, I don't hold you an expert in anything other than your own experience. And <laughs> and this yeah. is a learning opportunity for me, one of which I've been really excited about. Uh, so some of this might be a little bit just Q&A back and forth, but, but, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of times we operate on an assumption of Fox News. And, mm-hmm. and there's a fear-based mentality that does not have a sit-down conversation with people who believe what you don't believe, let alone being fed a narrative that the other hates you. Right, uh, right. So, so, this is a, so this is probably one of my favorite sit-down conversations, if I'm being honest. But, uh, you know, let's, <laughs> you. Let's, uh, let's dive into this a little bit. Uh, so, so, correct me where I'm wrong, but Muslims worship Muhammad, is that correct? Okay, so that's that's um, not correct, actually. Perfect. Let's start yeah. off with the first one. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's controversial. Already. Right away. Wrong. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> um, no, so we we believe only in God. So we worship Allah. So Allah is just the Arabic uh, word for God, Arabic meaning of God. Um, so we worship Allah and we believe Muhammad is a messenger of God. So just like we also believe Jesus is a messenger of God. Um, we believe Abraham is a messenger of God. Um, I'm trying to, th- so, so <laughs> a lot of the, uh, I, I think Christian in Christianity, you call them prophets as well. Yeah. Um, or, or, yeah, messengers, disciple. Uh, I don't think disciples, but yeah. Um, a lot- that would be something different, but yeah. Uh, right. Prophets, definitely messengers from God. Okay, yeah. So we have the same messengers from God pretty much um, that you read about in the Bible. We have it in the Quran because it's um, part of the three monotheistic faiths. So, so essentially we believe that Islam has um, always been there. But the message of God came with the seal of the prophet. So came came with the final full complete message of Islam came with uh, Prophet Muhammad. But the ver- uh, there was a version of Islam that came with Jesus. There was a version of Islam that came with Moses. Um, we also believe in Adam and Eve, and so uh, um, you know of of Jonah, and um, so you, so you see the same or very similar stories within the Quran that you would see in the Bible, um, and that you would have in Judaic teachings. It's just under the banner, I guess, the title of Islam. But we believe that all of these religions are Islam. It's just the final message. The completion of it came with Prophet Muhammad. So um, just like Moses, uh, just like the uh, the people who followed uh, Moses was to- were told that there will come another messenger after me and he will bring a version of the message, I guess. And that was Jesus. Um, 
And so there were some folks who followed Jesus, some who didn't. Um, and, and so we believe that Jesus said, there will after me come a final messenger who will bring the seal of the message. So the finality of the message, and that will be Muhammad. And so again, right? Some folks followed, some didn't, whatever the case is. And so we believe that um, the message of the Quran is just a final version, final message of God. Um, so it it's not in contradiction with... Um, the message of the messages of the Bible and the Torah, it's just um, an evolution of it and a kind of a seal that's come again with with a certain time and a certain context and a certain uh, geographic location, but also that the messages there are also universal and for uh, eternal. So, yeah, so we believe that Muhammad is just the messenger of that of that message obviously um but we don't worship him he's just held in high regard just like many of the messengers are but um that you know he is a he's a friend of god but god doesn't have a partner or any family or anything like that so um yeah he's kind of just there as a vicegerent of god to share the message but uh not to be worshipped because we um to worship someone other than God is to, I know the Arabic word is shirk, but it's it's to, yeah, to, to attach a partner to God is um, to act in disbelief almost. Now, speaking as a Christian, the goal is to know Jesus and his love for humanity and through his sacrifice ultimately connect and know God the Father. Okay. What would you describe as the goal within islam and i know that's being super simplistic <laughs> just to just to kind of say okay what you know what's the what's the goal of the religion but you know how would you kind of encapsulate the the ideology of islam mm -hmm. um so islam means uh to submit so a muslim is somebody who submits to the word of god to the um to the oneness of god and so i think one of the main goals of islam is to submit to that oneness and to and you know i think there's a lot of negative connotation to submission um but it's a submission that is of your own free will it's a submission to understand that this world is temporal, that God is greater than what this world gives access to, that um, to submit to God is to um, access freedom um, and to, yeah, to, to, to go in a path of truth, justice, um, humanity, to care for one another. So submitting to the will of God, submitting to the word of God, submitting to the, um, you know, practical guidelines that God um, has created for this world is to, to, to be a worshiper, is to be um, somebody who is on that spiritual path towards um towards believing in that oneness of God. You know, God, we, we've attributed 99 names to God, or not we, God has attributed 99 names to himself. Um, and, you know, um, names like uh, the, the almighty, the all just, the, um, the lover, the giver, the um, caretaker, stuff like this. And so it's, it's, it's trying to embody those, 
those ideals and those visions and those values of God in order to lead a life of truth, justice, humility, kindness, compassion, brotherhood, um, uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, and all to, yeah, to, to increase that access and that connection to, to God himself. We are, we are trying to understand and to know God. And so you know God through, um, you know, reading the Quran, um, knowing his names and trying to embody them, uh, yeah, embody them to knowing each other, knowing the land, um, you know, uh, being vicegerents on this earth and or being caretakers of this earth. Um, you know, so there's so many different ways to know God and it's a really active engagement. It's a, it's not just to, to consume knowledge, but not, and not put it into practice. So it's to consume the knowledge of what God is and who God is, but it's also to put into practice. If you truly know God, if you're, when you're tested, do you truly know who he is and what, um, you know, the ideals and the, the vision is of what, uh, this world should look like. And so it's almost testing your faith in God again and again, um, to see if, you truly do understand the principles of Islam or oneness or of compassion, of love. Um, and, you know, the more you the more you are tested, the more your spiritual pool opens up and then the more love you have to give back to each other, if that makes sense. So the more you seek to understand God in both principle and action, um, then it's the more you seek to understand yourself in both principle and action. And the more you seek to understand humankind, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, um, in principle and action. And, and those things are tested again and again and again, but also through those tests, those, um, answers are also strengthened. Now, Christians have the Bible, Muslims have the Quran. What role does the Quran play in the life of a Muslim? Um, I mean, I guess the role that it has is the role that you allow it to have. And I think potentially... Damn, that's a good answer. <laughs> can write that one down too. Yeah, that's, that is so good. And that is that transcends any, any religion. Any right? Yeah. Man, that's good. Thanks. I actually just came up with it, so I quite like it myself. Um, Pro proceed. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that is the case, though, right? Like, I I know, you know, there have been times where the Quran just sits on my shelf and I forget it's there. Um, there are times where I'm totally enamored with it. And the more and more I read it, the more translation I read of it, the more commentary I read of it, the more enamored I am with God, the more enamored I am with humankind. And I have a lot of hope. Um, I come to understand, you know, how to interpret different circumstances and different scenarios. I come to understand the wisdom behind some of the guidelines and having restrictions and not total freedom. I come to understand why total freedom is isn't necessarily a good thing and you know to reevaluate what I believe to be freedom and where I find freedom um, 
you know, I, I, I come to understand that it's a way of exchanging shared values, shared knowledge. Um, it's a way of understanding how to be caretakers of this earth and how to be caretakers of each other. Um, so that's, you know, if I, if I give it the space to teach me, then it will teach me. And I think again, like with any spiritual book, that's the case, right? Um, I think what's interesting about spiritual books is that so many of the stories, so many of the values, the belief systems, um, actually not even spiritual books, but if you're coming from oral spiritual traditions, they're very similar in the teachings and the ideals um, that they share down. It's just got different stories, different titles, different names to it. Um, but we're all out here trying to understand this world, trying to understand each other and trying to exercise some compassion and love. I just think a lot of that's been bogged down. But I think when we go back to our books, um, we can see that love and truth and justice are are the foundations of our books. Um, and so, you know, it, it for me, then it becomes, okay, how do I make these the foundations to my own soul? Um, and so I can only do that through understanding the book and so through understanding the Quran. You know, some, some Muslims will use it to their uh, materialistic advantage, their egotistic advantage, their advantage for this um, worldly life rather than for the afterlife. Some will see it as a guidebook and a map for the afterlife. Some will see it for both. Some will, you know, misinterpret things. Some will, again, use it to their advantage, for example, for patriarchal um, reasons. Some will use it for to access freedom. So there's so many different ways that the book and any book can be used. Um, but, you know, I think think when you really sit with it and and again the I think with any spiritual book you know it will speak to you a dozen times in different ways in different places in your life and um, it's about really engaging with it and allowing yourself to hear those answers um, with an open heart and open mind it's easier said than done um, because this world makes you have a lot of barriers in your heart and in your mind um, but for me when I go back to certain verses, when I, and that's consciously, subconsciously, whatever it is, you know, my mind expands. It doesn't, it doesn't restrict. And so my, my vision and my understanding of this world only seeks to expand the more I engage with the book. So this one's off the top of my head. Within Christianity, there is what we refer to as the Trinity. Mm -hmm. There's the father, there's the son, there's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, God the Father would probably be most similar to to, to Allah, how you how you've described God. Right. Uh, the Son is the person of Jesus, right. who we who we claim to be both God and man. And then there's this character of the Holy Spirit who indwells uh, the life of a believer uh, who guides and instructs, but also has a, a whole mysterious factor to him, to it, however you want to define it. Is there a, a, a being or a character similar to that within Islam? Yeah, so we don't we don't have that per se, but we I guess, you know, we would have that within it would be more about engaging again with the Quran or to understand the prophet, his life, the lives of his, um, 
uh, follower, uh, yeah, the lives of his companions, the lives of his uh, progeny, and through them we would understand exactly how to, for example, carry out certain um, verses of the of the Quran, or to understand the interpretation and the context of the Quran, and therefore in understanding that we're able to understand, you know, what relevance it has to our spiritual lives. I would say, yeah, we are kind of the the onus of our spiritual souls um, is kind of on us but also through the guidance of that God has put in the book and in the, the teachings of the book and in the way that the prophets kind of carried out those teachings. So we do believe that the prophet is infallible so that he is perfect and that he carried out the teachings um, as they were meant to be carried out. Um, now, of course, people will have different ways of you know, interpreting some of those teachings, interpreting some of the livelihood, like the, the, the lives of the prophet um, and his progeny and stuff. But um, yeah, I would say that we don't necessarily have a, a, uh, a spiritual guide per se. Um, we, there are narrations where, you know, if you're in distress, then like certain, um, you know, there are certain like things you can recite that will potentially bring about uh, that spiritual guidance and stuff. Um, it's more about being able to hear that guidance and listen for it. And, and a lot of that comes with faith, right? So like, you know, a miracle could happen or something could happen where you feel ease or, you know, peace. And that came through um, your faith in the prayer that you were um uh, saying, saying or reciting or whatever. Um, and so, and so in that sense, there's that spiritual guide. Um, and that, and, you know, so start saying certain verses of the Quran or certain, certain, uh, repeating, um, you know, a particular name of God is that spiritual guide. Um, and it's about listening for that guidance and hearing it out. Yeah. That's a super interesting question though. Yeah, <laughs> one that came to mind, yeah. which which then some within Christian circles might say, well, the Holy Spirit prompted you to ask that question. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so it's it's just a very interesting yeah. cyclical relationship. Yeah. That you never really pin down, but you kind of say within within this sphere of operation, this is sort of what he does. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's like it's it's one way to. Um, to continually revive your faith is to have faith in that spirit, but knowing that that spirit is from God almost, right? If that, yeah, that absolutely. Sense? Okay, cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, now, something I think a lot of people struggle with within the idea of, of religion, and, and it doesn't matter what type of religion, uh, is this idea of violence. Mm -hmm. um, the Old Testament within the Bible, uh, the Torah, there's examples of violence and war occurring and and the Quran isn't absolved from that either. Mm -hmm. We see it in, in chapter two, um, which is, you know, I, I'd love some commentary on, but these verses have been used to argue a permissible form of defense. Can you unpack that a little bit for mm -hmm. us? Yeah. So I guess, I guess in any, so, so the, the Quran itself is a, a, a book of guidance and, um, and a way to live life, right? So it's like a complete 
a complete kind of map on how to live life. So it, it will go through, you know, how to have political structures and um, how to, you know, take care of the plants, take care of your neighbors, how to um, enact justice, what justice looks like, um, you know, how to pray. So it's got that spiritual, that physical, that materialistic, that political, that economic, environmental kind of guidelines and rules and everything in it. So it is a complete book, according to us. Um, and so part of that is that knowing that humans, you know, um, will transgress, that humans will engage in violence, that we do have violent tendencies, I guess, within us. Um, and, and that's a whole, you know, nature versus nurture thing. And you know, are we born evil? Are we born good? Are we born, you know, um, violent? Are we born peaceful? So that's a pretty big conversation. Um, but knowing that, you know, these are some of the practicalities of it and also knowing, you know, the context in which the Quran came down or any book came down, came down in a, in a, in a certain context within a certain, you know, environment and, um, you know, cert amongst certain cultural practices already. Um, and so, you know, when you look at those verses of um, chapter 2, 191 to 192, you also have to look at the preceding verses and the context. So um, when the Quran talks about violence or, you know, not uh, when it talks about rules of engagement in war. And so there are rules of engagement in war in, you know, Western circles, in Western contexts. Um, in, you know, in, in the ways of enacting war, going to war, what happens during war, after war, all that stuff, right? So it's, it's, it's in secular circles, it's in religious circles. Um, some of the secular ones are, you know, predetermined by some of the religious ones or whatever. But so, so everyone has rules of engagement, right? So just like that, the Quran kind of outlines rules of engagement for war. Um, and so, you know, there are conditions to fighting. So the only time, and, and this is kind of the big word that's used in Fox News is jihad, right? So um, jihad is, um, jihad means to struggle. So there's two types of jihad. So there's the greater uh, there's a greater struggle and the smaller struggle. The smaller struggle is more of that physical. So if um, there is an attack on Islam, a violent attack on Islam, and enemies are, so disbelievers, um, enemies, you know, whatever the title you want to give to them, if they attack Muslims, so then God says, okay, you're allowed to defend yourself as long as it's in the name of Islam. So as long as it's in the name of pursuing truth, justice, uh, compassion, uh, um, you know, to, to defend the religion and faith, um, that's when you're allowed to to fight, right? But you're not allowed to initiate war. Um, if you can only initiate war if you if your faith has been if somebody has trampled upon your right to practice your faith, right? Um, so, for example, in the context of verse 191 and 192, the Muslims were driven out of Mecca, and so when they tried to enter again, they were allowed to enter with. Um, you know, with the with an intent of starting a war, if necessary, to gain entry back into that sacred space um, and to perform pilgrimage. So that so again, it's like, what is the intent for? Why is it 
and why are you doing this? And you have to make sure that the intention is for God, not for one's ego, not for materialistic possessions, not to invade land, not to take um, land away from people or to, um, you know, obtain the spoils of war or anything like that. It's to eradicate any oppression. It's for truth. It's for justice. Um, and even if they're going, if we're going to go for war, you know, you can't fight the elderly. You can't fight those that are wounded. You can't fight women and children or kill women and children. You can't, um, you know, harm the environment or gardens. You can't poison the water that, um, you know, the, the other side will be drinking. You can't, uh, kill those that have run away or are wounded you um, you know you if if the opposite side asks for peace whatever the uh, the conditions for that peace are you agree to it because peace is the ultimate uh, desire and and if there's any point before war or any act of violence is initiated if there's any point where you can get peace that's what you go for so war is an absolute absolute last resort but knowing that potentially that might happen there are also guidelines so that's kind of that smaller struggle that smaller jihad um, whereas the greater jihad is actually the struggle of oneself one's soul um, and to you know not be attached to the worldly desires and worldly pleasures and uh, materialism it's to detach oneself from one's ego or being ruled by one's ego at least um, it's about submitting to the will of god to um, you know, the divine path of love. It's about, um, you know, being kind to one another, to this earth, to this land. It's about, uh, yeah, enacting that truth and justice and being on a path of truth and justice. So that's kind of a greater jihad. That's the greater struggle. So yeah, just like any other rule book, there are rules of engagement, but there are a lot of constraints in the engagement and peace is the ultimate uh, guideline and guidance for that engagement. Now, just real quick, does, does, that, does that idea of what is and what is not permissible, is that a pretty universal, we all sort of see this the same way, or is that a little bit more subjective with blurry lines based on how you interpret things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So in the Quran, it is, it is you know, everything that comes with the Quran comes with a context and a commentary. So um, to know the Quran is also to read that context and understand that uh, and understand that context. But of course, people will pick and choose verses um, and you really manipulate them. So you'll definitely have, um, you know, certain groups that will take um, a verse of the Quran and hijack the religion in doing so and use that as a um, justification for violence. And that violence is coming from a lot more uh, you know, outlying factors, so socioeconomic injustice, um, you know, colonization being, um, you know, neo-colonization and imperialism. So, for example, the war on terror um, and, you know, their countries being invaded and bombed and, you know, not having access to um economic justice, to land-based justice, to, um, you know, 
having seen so much trauma and not having a mechanism to heal, right? So there's so many different reasons why they might, if if they're in very vulnerable positions, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, economically, politically, whatever, it can be, um, you know, people can take things out of context and use very, um, you know, um, uh, literal, I, I don't want to say literal translations, but yeah, just, just things out of context in, and, and to justify their use of violence in, where violence isn't called for. Sure. And, and even saying literal, that's very applicable within the Christian camp, as mm. there are people who take a literal approach to scripture. Some take a metaphorical yeah. approach to scripture yeah. and then and then, you know, you then take both of those and you try to find somewhere where the context lies and it really gets it really gets a little dicey. It does. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so even, you know, with that context, it's like there's a there's a very rigorous method in trying to secure, you know, reliable sources for, you know, passing those traditions and the context down. And so it takes a lot of rigorous work and effort and there's like established systems and all of that. Um, and so when you are kind of deprived from actively engaging in your faith or when your faith has been hijacked by outside forces where, you know, you're taught to be ashamed of your faith or you're not given the space to actively participate in it because you're defending your faith on very basic grounds and stuff. It, it is difficult to have access to that, to those systems and to those understandings and, you know, even have space to, to take the time to, um, to come to understand those contexts. And then it can be a bit a bit difficult, you know, you, you kind of become more susceptible and vulnerable to be in, in spaces and um, where, where the interpretation is quite dangerous and not um, contextual. Now, what's been your experience with doing what we're doing, having interfaith dialogue with non-Muslims, people who don't believe in, in Islam, things like that? I guess there is, it, it's twofold. I think the, 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 the personal conversations I've had um, typically have been pretty fruitful. And, um, you know, I, I always, I, I love having interfaith conversations because I love talking about God. I love talking about, um, you know, the different ways we interpret this world and come to understand it and where, you know, there are similarities and where there are differences. I love, you know, I have friends who are of, um, you know, who are practicing Christianity and, you know, just the different ways we would interpret different life situations or the ways we can like learn from each other and learn from each other's experiences of God. Um, you know, I think those have always been very beautiful and dynamic conversations. I think sometimes the, the second part of that uh, question is, you know, when there are systems at play and how we have these conversations. So, you know, sometimes I've I found that in, in greater spaces of interfaith conversation, we don't necessarily discuss some things that have hijacked both Christianity and Islam. Um, so, for example, we don't discuss colonialism, right, or imperialism. And so using Christianity um, to enact certain violence uh, systems or, um, 
means of accessing land, right? So I, I personally don't think that that's actually a Christian thing, but I think the name of Christianity has been hijacked to do those things and to continue doing those things. And so it's like, I think we need to talk about colonialism, anti-imperialism, um, and, and, and those systems that are actually harmful for all sides um, and to be able to understand, you know, how can we reclaim the essences and the, the beauty of our faiths and not let them be hijacked from people that, you know, are having that spiritual drought or are, aren't, aren't actually on the path of God um, and the teachings of God. And so I think for me, that's where I kind of feel I'm at, I'm at this space where I'm like, I just, I don't want to have interfaith conversations without them because I think we're really not addressing this huge elephant in the room and we're kind of going in circles sometimes. Um, And so that's kind of one place where I wish we could have a bit more openness and conversation. And I think interfaith discussion is really, really difficult. I remember reading this article. He said that there are ways in engaging in interfaith conversation. So you don't come with this idea of trying to convert each other. You come with this idea of trying to listen and being open-minded to each other's ways of living. And then you, you enact, you, you come together with the, you come together with the four H's. So with your head, your heart, your hands and holiness, you come together with the intent of using um, your head, your heart, your hand and under the the banner of holiness or spiritual guidance to actually have these conversations of interfaith, but also to find the similarities where you can have interfaith means of, um, you know, envisioning truths, of envisioning justice, of um, envisioning compassion or, you know, addressing environmental concerns or understanding political dynamics and stuff like that. So I think I wish our interfaith practices were were a bit more holistic and wholesome, not not necessarily about, you know, trying to convert each other, but actually, you know, using the means we have to, to envision a world of God's visions and principles are there. Cause I think foundationally we are similar, but yeah. And again, I think, so yeah, personally, you know, I've, I've had very fruitful conversations of interfaith and they're not, you know, they're not classified as interfaith per se, or they're not very intentional about being interfaith, but it's just been very organic conversations that, you know, when you look out from the outside, you can label as interfaith, but, um, you know, then we're also just addressing the systems of colonialism, anti-Islamophobia, gender-based violence within uh, faith-based and interfaith conversations, you know, who's being given space for interfaith conversations. Yeah. So, so addressing some of the bigger socio- political constructs that kind of limit the way we do interfaith is something that I'm quite intrigued by. And I would like to, I would like to see, you know, more spaces for conversation to open up, I guess. And on the heels of that, Samia, what, what would be something that you'd say to Christians and non-Muslims that you think would help move us all in a more positive direction? Mm, It's kind of difficult. (laughs) Yeah, you know, easy, um, right? Easy yeah, super simple. Um, I guess sometimes it's as simple as talking with each other, and like, and like, not talking just to just to speak back or just to to give a counter argument or a to to 
you know, just, just to say something, but speaking to really listen and to hear. And, you know, you don't always have to have a response to say what people say, but, you know, just hear people out and, and hear where their story is coming from and what they've been through. And I think some of that really allows, um, you know, the, the, the openness for empathy and compassion to seep through. Um, whereas I think if we're closed off to even just hearing people, we'll never come to understand what they're experiencing and 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 not understand in the sense of like I know what you're feeling but understanding like I hear what you're saying um and so that is probably one of the most basic things I would say that all um Christians, Muslims, non-Muslims, everyone can do for each other. Um, I would say, you know, listens to people's experiences and see them as valid for what they are. Um, I would say, you know, really understand, you know, what your, we live in a very, um, we live in a society that is dominated by Christian values and understandings. And so what would it mean to live in a society that isn't dominated by that? And this is not like a whole, like, I want Sharia law kind of thing coming in there or something. Um, but in the sense, oh, by the way, Sharia law just means law. And it's just only in Muslim uh, countries. So it's not something when, when we, if there are Muslims living on a, land that isn't um you know ruled by the values of islam or the guidelines of islam they have to subscribe to the rules of the land so sharia law could never come here basically um i would like to point that out um because i know that's what fox news definitely puts the fear of um in people but understand you know what exactly it would look like to not have your faith be the dominant faith and you know some of the difficulties that could come in expressing your faith and your belief systems um and when you have you know um channels like fox news that are really othering muslims and are showing them as violence um you know seek to understand what is the benefit of showing them as violent and why are we being shown that Muslims are violent and um, that they're, you know, a threat to humanity. And um, so really questioning the resources that you're, uh, the sources that um, people are getting their news from and what the agenda is for the, that news organization or, you know, any, anybody, any political organization or anybody that's telling you anything like what is their agenda what is um which is a really sad way to think because it's like it it doesn't necessarily allow you to move with openness in this world and and kind of limits the way you trust uh people and and this societies and this world but that's kind of what you know minority communities are doing whether they're um you know minority by culture by faith by race by creed you know whatever it is um um, geographic location. So, so just understanding, you know, why are we told to hate them and, and what is the benefit of being told to hate them? Um, following the money of that hatred also helps. Um, and so, and so I think that would be, you know, one of the things I say is question everything, question why we're taught to do these things, question why we are taught to fear, why, what is the benefit um, to certain people if we do all fear a certain um, group of people, right? So, um, yeah, question things and also be open to hearing and listening and understanding people's experiences. Um, and, you know, look at people's actions. 
That's great. Those are those are great thoughts, and I appreciate you making the time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. How can people connect with you and tell us a little bit about your podcast? Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah, my podcast is called The Rogue Muslim. So um, I've definitely had a, quite a few people comment and ask if that means that I, you know, hate Islam and I'm working with the devil. Uh, it's not the case. Um, what it means, it what. The idea behind the name was that, you know, I was going rogue from the constructs of um, anti-Islamophobia. So the ways in which um, Islamophobia, the system of Islamophobia kind of boxes Muslims in. Um, and so I was going rogue from that and as well as going rogue from some of the harmful interpretations of Islam from um you know, patriarchal interpretations, gender-based violence kind of interpretations, um, sectarian hatred interpretations. So there is a bit of rogueness, uh, internal rogueness, external rogueness. Um, and so wanting to more highlight different conversations that we're having in the Muslim communities and really being a podcast for Muslims, by Muslims, about Muslims, but also for non-Muslims. So, um, you know, really reclaiming our own narratives and our own voices and our own conversations and, um, you know, us guiding the conversations instead of being um, told who we are and what we are and really, um, you know, sharing that for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, the podcast is on all podcast hosting platforms um, and you can find um, the podcast on social media as well. Uh, all social media is just The Rogue Muslim. Um, that's just one word. And it's I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's awesome. We'll make sure we list it all in the show notes. But again, Samia, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.